0: Hello and welcome to Good Things, the show where we talk to good people who are doing good things. I'm Darshan Johan, and my guest on today's episode is Sivarajan Arumugam. He's the Secretary General of Party Socialist Malaysia, PSM. Now, Siva has been fighting for the rights of the marginalised and underprivileged, um, including plantation and factory workers, orang asli and the likes, for about 30 years now. Welcome to the show, Siva. How are you doing?
1: Hi. Hi, Darshan. Thanks for having me. I'm well.
0: Before we get into your past and, and all of that, right, which I'm very, very curious about, tell me about the work you do at PSM.
1: I'm now the currently the Secretary General of uh, Party Socialist Malaysia. Uh, well, since uh, PSM inception, I was the Honorary Treasurer. And since 2015, I became the uh, Secretary General. So basically, the, the task of the Secretary General would be one of a full-timer, and uh, so basically to oversee all aspects of the party in terms of uh, administration, in terms of membership uh, program. And so even though in the Central Committee, we have different people taking care of different uh, bureaus in the party, but the job of the Secretary of is to make sure that everything is uh, done accordingly. Uh, We have our Congresses, Yeah, so basically, I have my hands into everything. Right.
0: So I'm curious to know about how your journey actually began. Um, You're a chemistry graduate from UKM and have around 30 years of activism under your belt, right? So tell me, when did your journey as an activist actually start?
1: Well, I would think the turning point would have been when I stepped into uh, university. Uh, although the first year I was not really active, you know, basically, I mean, that's what we thought we go into university. We wanted to study. But uh, during the second year, um, we got involved in uh, social activities. We went to areas. So that was basically the start and uh, everything sort of like builded up from there. And we even after campus, so we continued uh, our activities. So we started off many of activities in the estates. Uh, doing some programs and uh, so i think that's where we uh, we sort of learned a lot of issues learned about human rights learned about exploitation uh, workers problems uh, common people's issues and that sort of one led to another and getting involved looking for political solutions
0: there are various um, forms of activism and whatnot but um, you're not just an activist. You're also a socialist. You're, you're a, a part of party socialist Malaysia. It's a very specific, um, understanding or ideology of, of politics. Um, it's a very specific, um, economic ideology and, and so on and so forth. I'm wondering what sort of, um, was there a moment that made you go, oh, okay, so this is what I relate to Um, this is what needs to be done. Was there a moment that's, you know, quote unquote radicalized you or like some sort of turning moment um, and an experience that you had perhaps?
1: Well, I would think like what I said just now, during our initial years when like myself and even uh, Arul, Arul was my two year senior in UKM when we got involved in uh, activities. So basically we started off uh, basically to do service uh, in the nearby uh, rural areas, which were the estates, which were closest to UKM. And uh, so once we were there, I mean, we didn't go in as Marxists or we didn't go in as socialists. I mean, we were just there to do surveys. Right. But once we start analyzing uh, why the wage system is as such, we start analyzing about the historical perspective of uh, colonialism and how it has sort of brought about this kind of a suppressive wage system. So we, read, we start reading a lot of stuff from then on. I think one was the important books that we read was, of course, Michael Stenson huh? uh, on the on, on the issue of labor, racism and colonialism. So that was very eye-opening. And we, we read about how the left unionists, how what, the, the Communist Party, the left uh, groups really mobilized workers during the times of 1930s and 1946, the years of uh Pan-Main Federation of Trade Union. So those were really eye-openers. And that sort of led to us to see, to look at issues more from a left perspective, more from a class perspective. And uh, so I think that is what led us to more readings uh, and uh, to find actually what is this Marxism about? What is socialism about? Following that, I think after campus, uh, we also met up with a lot of other like-minded groups um, I think one of the our good comrades, of course, is Dr. Nase, who was involved in activism with the urban poor, uh, Comrade Selber, and uh, Dr. Nase, of course, he 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 was very much uh, exposed to Marxism. You know, he was already uh, in uh, Imson with uh, Professor Jomo and all that. So we had a lot of discussions with them, getting much more deeper into class analysis. So I think that is what we really built. And the turning point really came when we thought that uh, besides uh, beyond activism that we need to really get involved in politics was somewhere around 1995, when uh, we really thought that we really need to start a party. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I think it's mainly from, I would say that we started off from the other end. I think most people would start off from reading Marxism and then going to the ground. We started off differently. We started off from the ground and then going up to, to see why these ideas relate to what we are actually
0: working on. You brought up Arul, and I've interviewed him on this very show, and um, he brought up something that I think, if I'm not mistaken, even um, Nalini Elumalai, um, who's now with Article 19, um, she also brought up, um, I think, you know, she was also from UKM and was this, you know, Jawatan Kuasa Kebajikan Mahasiswa Mahasiswi or JKMI. Were you part of this, um, this, this, this organization? Um, then, um, what sort of work did y'all do? Um, and w- were you guys all friends? Uh, you and Arul? What, what did y'all learn from going down in the plantations? Um, what sort of, um, experiences that y- did you guys have? Um, especially you, um, specifically, um, while you were in uni?
1: Uh, as you said, uh, well, this, <laughs> I think during those days, uh, this, we were a radical group right? because in UST we had the official group, uh, which of course played by the rules. Uh, they were under the purview of uh, Halewal Plaza and so on. But uh, I mean, during my time when my exposure, the first, the first and second years, I always heard about uh, this particular group. And those uh, the students uh, who in the formal group, they always uh, label this group as an illegal group you know right. these guys are illegal they're doing activities without the uh, without the authorities approval so that sort of triggered me to say that actually what is so illegal about what they're doing you know? because I, I have friends there who have been to programs and they are doing good service so that really pulled me let's go and find out what is so illegal about it so i, <laughs> I did my first <laughs> i did my first i uh, joined them um, it was actually an estate um, it is known as surgery estate uh, estate of course today is uh, Putrajaya, uh, it was one of the estates which got evicted during the time eh, uh, from the five estates, so that was my first program. Uh, I went in, we stayed with our comrades, uh, like you said, Arul and a lot of other uh, people, students. We stayed there for a week during our semester holidays. I think we went there with the intention, or oh, mainly myself, my first exposure, went there with the intention to say, okay, let's go there, let's meet the people, these people are poor, We want to teach their students. Uh, We want to do some service there. But I think what we gained was much, much more. It was basically a learning process for us that we learned from the workers themselves, their struggles, their challenges, why poverty happens. Because those days, like a lot of people would look down on uh, estate workers. They say that, look, these people, they don't educate their children. They take them out to the uh, rubber field and they don't send them to schools. But once we were there in the estates and we ourselves went for tapping, I also went for tapping a couple of times uh, into the, uh, the rubber field. I understood how difficult the job was and I needed assistance. <laughs> so maybe I would have also brought my, my, my child to the, you know, because if I need to have assistance, then I can be more productive, you know, right you tap six to 700 trees uh, early in the morning uh, at night. And this done work was done by women, not mm-hmm. only men. Uh, similarly, I also had experience working in the plantation, in the oil palm plantation. And to harvest one fruit, one fresh fruit bunch of oil palm is not easy in Israel. Really because for you to sort of uh, hold up that uh, the hole, the, the cutting hole eh, with your plate, it takes a lot of uh, uh, work. And after cutting one fruit, you'll be tired, your heart will be beating very much faster. So this is what the people, uh, the CEOs of the plantation companies don't see. You know, they basically think that one fruit can be cut in certain number of uh, minutes, and thus, if you work eight hours, you're able to cut so many number of fruits. Right. No, that does not work that way. Okay, so these are the very important experiences that we learn, and so that is what uh, build us. See, besides that, in terms of what we have also done in the estates is that. I mean, this is uh, me being uh, also as a catalyst, <laughs> as being troublemakers. Except sometimes when we go to these estates, we find that uh, some of the places where the uh, the unions or even the political leaders in the estates will be very dominant. They'll be very close to management. They will not allow any kind of workers' dissent. And uh, so they will be sort of like uh, suppressing any kind of uh, problems and so on. So we when we went there and we saw these things, Our job was to break it. Right. Wanted to break their their dominance. So we will talk to because we are staying in the workers' houses. There'll be twenty of us, and each of us will be staying in the houses of each of the workers. We will talk to the workers. Say, how come this this one is happening? Why don't you fight back? You know, we'll instigate them uh, in in the right way. (laughs) Instigate them in the right way. And then usually uh, at the last day where we stay in the estates, we usually put up a play. Uh, this uh-huh. play is known as a pantomime play, meaning that uh, we would not speak any dialogues. It will be, we will have a background music and it will be a play. It will run for 10 minutes, 20 minutes or so. So you were and acting in, in play this play? We'll yes. I mean, all <laughs> of us were very good actors, myself, Arul, and all those comrades. We did all kind of funny things those days. <laughs> so we did a play and this, this play would be played uh, on the last day of the event where we have a celebration. All the estate workers will be there. And in some instance, even the estate manager will be there and he will be, you know, a bit uh, edgy on his chair when he sees at the end of the play how the management gets packed up in the <laughs> on stage. So, I mean, this was very, very inspiring because workers get inspired by this place, right. you know? even though we don't really relate actually to actual characters in the estate, but people get inspired. They say, yes, we can do it. So after that event, and after we go back to the estate a week later or two weeks later, then we hear about new stories. We say, hey, good that you guys came for a week. You did this program, you know, we, we managed to change the union leader. So we say, yeah, go, good, great. Finally, you finally rose right. up and you made a change, you see. So those kind of impacts, I think we were able to do. And that uh, besides just doing that one week program, I think it built that rapport, the long term relationship. And uh, yeah, I mean, we've been working with them uh, for more than twenty, thirty years, especially in the areas of Sumenye, Bangi, where I think Arul was very involved. And we managed to really fight for our housing rights for them. And most of them, they got houses when the estates were evicted after twenty years. So that this was the bond that we built that when we were in campus. Right. Yeah, those were those were interesting times.
0: Siva, tell me a little bit about your family. Um, what was your childhood like when you were growing up? Um, did your family of your dad, your mom, um, cousins, perhaps uncles, aunties, did they talk about politics, some um, human rights, social justice, and things like that?
1: Well, I got nothing to claim that my family was progressive or anything like that. I mean, right. We were just a middle class family in in KL, and my father was a government servant, my mother was a housewife, and relatives. Yeah, I mean all of us. As you know, Indian middle-class families, right. okay, mm-hmm. you do your job and you you come up in life. Yeah, you know you, work, you go to university, you get a government job. You know that's what my mother told me. Okay, and so basically, <laughs> I think what what was very interesting during our my days like, I mean, this when we grew up, seventies and eighties. Mm-hmm. I think we lived among a very multiracial society. I mean, I had very close friends, uh, a few. I mean, few few doors away from my house. Was a very good Malay family. He was also a German servant. I mean, he. Would, I mean, the, the children would come up, and you know, we would mingle, we would play together. And just opposite my house, we had a very rich Chinese family where uh, that particular uh, family member, you know, he would come to us. He he behaved very well. You know, so that that kind of racial relationship, I think, is what I don't see today. So I'm very surprised actually because we grew up in those kind of environments. Me and my uh, my other brothers and sisters and so I'm very surprised when children today they relate to me what is happening in school what is happening the racism you know the fighting the smearing and all that I'm surprised how why, where this all this come from because we never had it and we never passed on to anyone even in school we did not find this kind of uh, racism coming so I think that really molded us uh, it helped us you no know, we we never saw uh, Malays as Malays and Chinese as Chinese we all talk and discuss openly. And these were the days of without social media. So the benefit of that was that I remember uh, because all of us were living close by, now we would sit late into the night, not just outside all of us in the middle of the street, because those days we didn't have much cars. Okay. So we could sit (laughs) in the middle of the street and we were talking about everything. You know, I remember that those days, uh, my brothers and myself with with, uh, the other friends, uh, we were talking about astrology. We we're talking about astronomy. You know, we we're talking about science. We we're talking about politics, you know. So that kind of discussion is what we don't see today. We have today people sitting on different ends with their phones facing them and talking to different people. I mean, that kind of dynamics we don't have it today. Right. Uh, so I think basically I, I would say that in terms of uh, uh, fighting racism and having that kind of colorblind, uh, uh Uh, vision i think that was molded me during
0: my childhood right and i'm wondering you know you said your parents um you know it's a average um middle class um, indian family um generally they want you to keep out of trouble study hard work and get good salaries and 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 all of those things right so but yet you went on a slightly different path um you your while your pet your, you know, parents were government servants and all that. You were, you know, fighting for human rights. You went into this activism thing. You were one of the, the core members of um, Parti Socialist Malaysia, um, essentially in direct opposition with the state. And and so when you started going, you know, on this path, what did your how did your parents react?
1: Well, I think initially they were very supportive. Obviously, when they hear that, you know, okay, you're going to the Estates, you're teaching people, but well, that's the impression that they got. <laughs> well, they they did not realize maybe we were the uh, the organizers and we were the catalyst uh, empowering right. people. All right, that's a different story. Well, everything well well of course as you said, hell breaks loose when the first arrest happens. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there's one day that I went. There's one day that I went to the estate and I, I never came back. Right. And then everyone started asking where was I. And, and what year was this? Uh, If not mistaken, it was 1995, 1996 probably. All right. Okay. And I never came back that night after I went for that meeting and everyone was asking, where is Siva? And everyone said that I was in a lockup sitting somewhere down. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Then, of course, uh, course the the next day I was charged and everything and uh, the the workers came to the estate and there was a lot of uh, uh, issues. There was a lot of media. And, of course, then I had to come back home. So that was a difficult part, right? All the right. next day. So yeah, we had to do a lot of explanation and uh, tell them what happened. Um, and so, you know, I mean, it's an obvious reaction. I mean, parents, of course, they don't uh, reject, they don't say that they're going in the wrong way, but the obvious fear of hmm. you are getting into trouble. So they don't see that you're doing something wrong, but they have an obvious fear that, oh, why are you fighting, you know, your future, blah, blah, blah. So that's an obvious thing. But I think uh, as we... As I progressed and as I continued, uh, what my parents, I think they did not really pressure me. I think that was uh, the, the good thing about my parents. They they had trust in me. I think they knew what I was doing. Uh, after that, they did not really sort of bother me. They did not really sort of harp on me regularly. They just wanted to keep a tap on me and just give me advice once in a while. Because once they knew that I was not going to leave this line of work, uh, basically they said, that okay, fine, if you have chosen, it's, it's up to you. Then. And, uh, but of course, you sometimes will ask what's happening. The second, um, difficult part was, I think, during Berce. The Quran taken was Berce, uh, uh, 2011. As you know, there was a lot of intimidation, a lot of arrests, and that is also when our PSM comrades got arrested under the emergency ordinance. So those were difficult times, um, uh, when, uh, when they, obviously my, my father was very afraid. And then we really did not know that you know, the police would really come to the house. You know, and those were really difficult times. So basically, at that time also, I did tell my father, why didn't you go and stay with your brother, my brother, for for a week or so until this whole thing cools down? But uh, fortunately, I mean, after that one month of uh, ordeal that we had to get our comrades out, I and mean, everything sort of settled down. So we had some difficult times, uh, but I think my parents were, were quite understanding because they also, they were not really politically involved, but uh, they understood and they, they knew that uh, why we are doing this and so on. And uh, I mean, they also had, uh, I mean, they also knew and uh, quite well uh, the other comrades in PSM, eh? uh, Dr. Kumar and Saras and Dr. Nase, server Arul. So in that way, I think they felt that Okay, I mean, this is uh, is a movement. We are doing a good cause. And uh, probably that, I mean, I'm I'm being overlooked by, by good people. So I think probably that, that was a thing. Yeah.
0: All right. We do need to go for a very quick break. On the show with me today is Sivarajan Arumugam, Secretary General of Party Socialist Malaysia. After the break, I ask him where he finds the courage and determination to keep doing what he's doing after so many years. We'll be back with more on Good Things, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Good Things, the show where we talk to good people who are doing good things. I'm Darshan Johan and my guest on today's episode is Sivarajan Arumugam, Secretary General of Party Socialist Malaysia, PSM. So Sivar, um, let's go back to the late 90s. Um, You know, y'all started with grassroots activism, um, working in the plantation, getting all those experiences, seeing how people struggle, and then started to learn more about the the political side of things, the class-based politics and and all of that. How did the establishment of Party Socialist Malaysia come about? What was that experience like? What led y'all to say, you know, we need to do this, we need to start this party?
1: So I think after campus, so basically we started off grassroots NGO known as community development center in Kajang. And uh, those were basically uh, members of that would be those activists were activists in in campus. And we recruited a lot of new members uh, while uh, those were still studying in in university. So it was a big group of people and we had a lot of activities. And that was a time when we really kick-started a lot of campaigns for the estate workers. And we got in touch with uh, another big movement of urban pioneers, or we call it Panor Kapanda. This was led by Dr. Nase and Selva. And similarly, but as we begin building this network for the campaign, we got in touch with many other groups. Uh, we had people from Kwaraslangong, and uh, mainly we had uh, a big group known as Aligal, which is Dr. Kumar from Ipo, Farak, who has been doing work much much longer than us. So this, through this network, I think we built a very strong movement. And it was very successful uh, movement, and where we had a a huge May Day protest in 1994, and that was unprecedented because, as you know, in the 1980s, basically those were the days after the 87 ISA crackdown. There was a lot of fear. No one really did a protest. Not even unions did any protest. No one would really hold up a placard at that particular time. While now it's quite uh, obvious and very very easy, but those days. Everything that you do, people will cite ISA. Okay. Right. Are you going to get arrested in the IS? There's so much of fear. But I think, um, we, we were able to break that in 1994, where even the police were, were astounded, you know, they never, the FRU were all there, but probably that was the first time for them also. Um, nearly 3,000 people in Dattara Prateka holding up play cards and chanting in 1994, May Day. And so that was a breakthrough that we had. And that, that, that protest ended uh, uh, sort of, uh, ended peacefully. But that also led us to more campaigns. But in, I think the turning point was in 1995, where we found that there's many issues of the looking of the working people that are not being addressed by the main political parties, be it government or opposition. Of course, opposition was not much then. Eh? We had only a couple of DAP members here and there. Right. PTR was non-existent Uh, pass was there and so on. But we felt that we had to approach these uh, politicians, either in the state or the parliament level to highlight our issues. And they were not really doing it, even in the opposition. I mean, as long it does not benefit them, they were not really taking up those issues. Uh, So we felt that this cannot go on. We need a Workers' Party. We need a voice for ourselves. And that is why there was a lot of discussions in 1995 for us to put up a candidate, and Dr. Nase, we thought of putting up as a candidate, but we it did not really work out. So what we did in 1995, we converted the whole campaign into uh, a people's campaign whereby each constituency, we mobilised people to put up demands in front of their estates, in front of their communities, telling politicians who ever want to come in to campaign, these are the demands that you have to meet. So those that was a very good campaign whereby, I mean, most politicians uh, when usually as you know during politic uh, during elections during campaigning they could just easily go into any constituents probably do a jamuan uh, kanduri you know buy uh, football t-shirts for these two, for for youth and be done with it but this time when they approached the estates they found a big billboard in front of the estates and that billboard clearly stated if you want to come in here for votes These are the issues, we have housing issue, we have water issue, we have uh, basic amenities issue, and we have uh, workers' rights issues. If you want to come in, you make sure you endorse these issues and you commit to solve them. So that really uh, made a lot of politicians, you know, sort of realize, you know, what we were campaigning for. So that was a turning point. I think after 1995, I think that is when we really started having serious discussions on the party. So we had continued discussions with a lot of people. Um, few names were being thrown around. I think first we were playing around with um, Socialist People's Front, SPF, uh, in 1996, and then 1997, more discussions with more groups. And finally, on 30th of April, 1998, we put in the registration for the party. So it was a long process. There's a lot of discussions uh, formulating the policies, the uh, constitution, and so on. But yeah, I think finally in 1998, uh, I was also one of the founding members, there's about 13 novels. Um, and 1998 was very important because those, that was a time when, the, that was the reformacy era. So it was very, uh, also very politically active time. Uh, so just immediately after our first Congress, we had our first Congress in Cameron Highlands, just a small group of people after we submitted our papers. And at that particular time, reformacy was happening in and Nadeka. So, you know, so, immediately after the Congress, we came down, we saw a huge crowd. So, I think it was very politically elevating for us at that particular time. So, yeah, that was the beginning of Party Socialist Nation.
0: Now, earlier you brought up your first encounter with the police um, and how your parents were worried about that. Do you remember what's your scariest encounter with the police? Um, was that the the, the the one, something that perhaps, uh, especially in the early days, made you feel afraid as well? Um, was there moments um, with the police that, that made you feel afraid? Do you remember any of those experiences?
1: I think, of course, the, the beginning periods, of course, yes, the, the normal fear is there, you know, because we, we don't know what is going to happen. It's very unexpected. But of course, you get arrested more and more times. Then you know exactly what to expect. You know how, what to do to take statements. but where will they, they'll bring you? How the lockup situations will be? Uh, yes. So, but of course, the beginning times were. But in terms of fear, I think sometimes yes. Like I said during the birthday um, times, when there's always an uh, imminent arrest that might happen. There's always a the thing about how long I would be, you know, detained. So that was right. always that, that issue of how long um, you'd be it, uh, detained. And, uh, but also the issue uh, facing the police would be maybe sometimes doing forced evictions, because during forced evictions, yes, we are fighting the FRU and it was, um, it was really like a, uh, like a battleground eh? where we would uh, sort of line up in uh, in a, in a picket line uh holding hands and then just in front of you the F.R.U. is there with your batons and uh, the shields ready to really hit you right but we will really go in like we really go in and we will get ourselves back and so those will sometimes we really think that i mean there's not an issue about getting back whether you're getting back seriously that's another thing so the fear is always there like. um, but of course we will push through like we push through you know Maybe we you you kick them a bit; they will hit us back. And so those kind of fights were always happening. Uh, but yes, I think I think the bigger fear would be uh, how it would really affect the bigger organization. Whether they will track down further. Uh, so those kind of things were there. But uh, so far, I think we have been doing all activities above ground. So I think in that way, it has helped us a lot. Because we look at the special, the special branch and the police, they were very good at cracking down movements, which are very underground during the communist days. Eh? Right. So we make sure that we did everything above ground, there was nothing underground for us. We did a protest, we did a protest, no? the leaders, we are the leaders, there's nothing underground. So in that way, it was a different um, problem to tackle for the police where they had, because, because that's the question they were usually ask us, well, who was behind you? say, there's no one behind you. I'm the one no? <laughs> right. who you ask me, yeah, so in that way, I think the police also had to learn that, okay, this the movement these days are a bit different. There's no underground movement, there is no armed movement, you know, there is no uh, a, a core uh, or a cell that we call those days huh? a cell. there's nothing nothing like that. everyone is open and everyone is fighting for their rights. So I think, yeah, those are some of the experiences mm. yeah, probably we went
0: through how how do you find the courage? because as, you know, as a socialist, um, as a grassroots activist, um, someone who has faced the police and the authorities many, many times, someone who is constantly, um, you know, in a lot of times, um, you know, in direct opposition with the state, um, you've faced many defeats, um, perhaps more, you know, defeats than victories throughout the years, um, although the big victories are very important. How do you find the courage and resilience to keep doing what you're doing throughout these many defeats throughout these many face-offs against the authorities and and the fears um you know that you put yourself uh, you know that that something might happen to you something might happen to the fa- your family so on and so forth how do you find the courage and resilience to keep pushing forward
1: uh well, i think i think this is what uh, makes us different from uh, other activists or i mean we have a lot of friends who are activists we have a lot of uh, politicians, even from the other side, uh, even from Pakistan. But I think what differentiates us, uh, myself and other comrades, is basically the the, the bigger picture that we see, uh, the analysis that we that we hold, that we see that uh, those struggles that we make, even though we come across defeats, that we know that you now this is a part of the bigger picture. the The war is not lost. Only thing the battles along the way that we are lost. So I think that is what is very important uh, for us to hold on to this Marxist analysis. And hold on to the class perspective because we have to look at the bigger picture. But there were, I mean, like you said, um, there were many issues that uh, we have been fighting. And uh, the reason that we we keep going is that because I feel that the war is still not over yet. You know, so even when we work in some areas, uh, people they do get uh, depressed. They do they do uh, sort of like uh, give up on the struggle. But for us as activists, uh, we know that this is just a, a step. In the struggle itself and we have to sort of keep mobilizing them and keep uh, encouraging them to move on because we know that's the biggest struggle to, to, to take on but of course in terms of failures like if usually in those areas which are fighting eviction eh, uh, whereby they might they might face in a in a situation where the houses are broken down and everyone is crying they have lost their home you find that that's the end of the world but we tell them no you go back and build your houses so that would be a surprise for them. You see, how can we build back a house? Say, yes, go back and build. And with that, we even have certain places where they build their house four times, you know. They build it and they get demolished, they build it again and get demolished until they fight, until they get what you want. So it depends on how persistent the people are, and we will be with them. And the failures will happen when people really get discouraged and they say, Okay, I think I'm giving up. I'm not going to when people give up, of course, we ourselves cannot move on any further. So, those would be the defeats now. But I think what has kept us going is uh, this whole struggle that we see is all connected. It's not just one housing struggle. It's not only one worker struggle, but it's, a, it's the biggest struggle we are fighting against this capitalist system, this extractive economy, this exploitation which is happening. I think that is what is kept us going. And it is even getting much more serious now, isn't it? I mean, those days when we were working, we were working with workers and situation was already difficult, but today it's precarious work we are fighting against. We're fighting against people who don't know who their bosses are. They're working on contract system, they're working as an outsource agent, you know, it's very precarious. And uh, people are fighting a uh, lot of land issues. I think land grabbing is coming more rampant now. And there is the issue of climate change, you know. So I think there's a lot of things that is new, even though we've been here for a long time, it's new to us. Uh, now we find this new way and how the state can uh, suppress by, uh, by coming after you if you post something on social media. In those days, unless you say something or you write something in an article in the paper, then, of course, you might get uh, hauled up to, to the authorities. But, I mean, social media, what is that social media?
0: <laughs> you know, you can just sit right.
1: anywhere and just say something and you get... So this is something very new. And we have to fight this. So I think what has kept us going is that these new challenges, which is always coming... And um, I think from those days, the impression was that uh, the it was more isolated. There was one struggle. Okay, you are having a problem in your community. It's such you are fighting for it. Okay, fine. I am fine. I'm staying in some somewhere else, not in my backyard. Eh? But today, I think it's everybody's problems. People even from Damansara, they're having a problem of highway going through, right? right. And people in the estates, they're having a problem. So, and climate change, you know, when climate change comes, it does not look at rich and poor. When COVID comes, it does not look at rich and poor. So I think now the struggle has expanded to all classes, to different different parts of the community. And that is why I think it, 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 there, is, there is no turning back in a way. that We have to keep fighting. If you don't, then we're going to descend. We're going to get much more worse. So I think basically that is what has kept us going. And there's always new issues, new challenges to fight on.
0: How do you like respond to this? Because when I talk to a lot of, um, you know, sometimes when you when you have um, just Kopitiam conversations and and conversation conversations with friends and families, you know, you hear things like you know, there's no hope in Malaysia, things will never change, and, and all of these things. But after so many years, um, uh, struggling, um, fighting this war, as you said, uh, what kinds of changes have you seen in Malaysia?
1: I think yes, that that sentiment, that thinking, is there. But I think if we must understand, if we don't push back, if we don't fight back, things could be much, much worse. I mean, historically, we have seen, uh, I mean, if uh, over the past 100 years, uh, with the uh, with the rise of capitalism, with the rise of the new economic system, neoliberalism and so on, if the left, if the communist movements, if the socialist movements never fought back, it would have been much, much worse. You know, The workers' rights would have been much, much worse than this, housing rights and all that. So people always think that no, every time we are fighting, but there's no gains, I think it's not true. We are here today because uh, we are getting a minimum wage today because someone fought back. We have certain protections for the workers because someone really fought back, someone gave their lives, you know. And uh, we have certain land rights, we have some precedence in courts because someone fought back, you know. Uh, someone has got some citizenship rights. And so it's always, we always take for granted what we have today because someone has given their lives, given their uh, sacrificed before. So I think that is what we we must understand that we have to keep fighting today so that at least our children will have a better life. So that is very important. If we stop fighting, it will be much, much worse. It will be much, much worse because there's no fight back. So I think for us uh, today is very important that um, we need to understand, like I said earlier, uh, it is no more an isolated struggle It is no more a struggle for one community, one area. They are poor because they are poor, they're living here. No, I think the struggle is expanded. We are being attacked in so many ways, healthcare, education, uh, workers, and so on, so many other ways that everyone has their own struggle in their own way. And this is why we need to bring together all the forces It is no more uh, a struggle for only the workers. Uh, Usually when we talk about Marxism, we talk about workers uprising in the proletariat and so on. But I think as PSM, we have understood this uh, since since before, that the struggle has to be comprehensive and it has to be inclusive. We have to look at housing rights, democratic rights, freedom of speech, and so on. And even in our own experience, we have found that we have made uh, changes For example, like I said, the freedom of assembly. I mean, those days we were only uh, uh, governed by the police act, which says that anyone, anything, any grouping more than five people, any assembly more than five people is not allowed. You have to get a police permit. Today, there's no such thing as a permit. We have an act, which is the um, Peaceful Assembly Act, uh, which only says that we have to notify. Now, this does not drop out from the sky. It was many, many years of struggle. People fighting, people getting arrested, people voicing out, and today we have an act, so there's no permit now. So similarly, I think we have moved in the democratic space, and we also have moved in a way that uh, how people are looking at each other in terms of uh, uh, racism. You know, I think there's more openness now. Uh, People are really fighting back. People are sick of racism. Uh, How people are voicing out uh, dissent in many ways. So I think. It has moved forward, but we should not stop. Uh, more people should get in into uh, uh, this this activity of activism. So it's not really uh, activism; is not only for activists. It is everyone is an activist in today's world, because um, you have your own issues and you have to you make your voice known to the political elite, and that is that is the struggle that we're in today. In
0: 2018 no, it was a big moment. Um, a lot of people, when they think about 2018, they just think about Pakatan Harapan versus Barisan. But a lot of people, they were also focused on one particular seat, which is Sungai Siput. Because that would have been something very seismic shifting as well. Because um, Dr. Jay Kumar um, competed under the Party Socialist uh, Malaysia banner, not just against Barisan National, but also against Pakatan Harapan. How did you feel? What was the mood Um, when Dr. J. Kumar got defeated at Sungai Sipot last elections under the PSM flag?
1: At that particular time, I mean, up to the last moment before the elections, we did make attempts to talk to Pakatan Harapan, um, where we really wanted to have a one-to-one and so on. But unfortunately, the talks failed. So, I mean, as a party, as a political party, that we need to participate in elections. So the Congress, we decided that, okay, if the talks really fail, then we have to go our own way. So that's why that we stood and we continue to stay under uh, stood under banner. Uh, we 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 knew that uh, it would be difficult to win. We knew that, uh, but uh, we did not expect to lose deficit. Right. So that was a big blow. Yeah. So uh, it was also a learning process for us uh, because that wave of the anti-barisan wave that the wave to overcome AMNO was so huge that even though a lot of people who knew our work, who respected our work, supported us before this, they just felt that they had to go with Pakatan just to bring down... Uh, so it's not a vote for Pakatan, I would say. It's mainly a vote against Barisan to bring them down. And so univocally, they had to give support to one uh, political block. So it was a difficult time. Uh, like I said, we thought it was difficult to uh, win because um we were trying to have talks but we know it I mean it did not succeed i mean what what can we do right um but losing deficit, it did make a, a dent in the morale of the party members especially in those constituencies that we lost uh, that we held before like Sungai uh even in semenye when all was uh, had bit much better before um, those new areas of course we didn't expect much hmm. uh, we got only a few hundred votes uh, but it did take some time to really build up, again, the morale um, for, for our members. So we had to do a lot of discussion and all that. And But anyway, I think we sort of went through the analysis and talking to people. We really understood why this was so. Uh, but for us, since uh, we had always the principle that even since 1999, the first time we stood in elections against Sami Wehlu, the party has always a principle that win or lose, we will continue our service center, and that is why in Sunai support the service center continues up to today, uh, from 1999 up to today without a day closure. We continue our service, so in that way, I think we kept going. But of course, some of the members, you know, they felt uh, disgruntled. They said, you know, we have we have this area so much, and now they have disappointed us and so on. But, uh, we are, re- we have rebuilt and that is why that we're having another Congress soon to discuss about election strategy. I think now we are more clear and even the current political scenario is very, very different from what we saw in 2018. Uh, now I think there's so many players and everyone is going their own way. Even Pakatan does not seem like a, a coalition now, isn't it? Mm. PKR is going their own way. And so now things seem more clearer that um, it is not really a, a two-party system, I mean, uh, Johor will be an, uh, something very new for us, everyone is going their own way. So I think now, I think in politics, this is what is something you cannot really predict things that happen. You just have to make a very close reading, and we have to take it in stride line. So of course, you know, in the first experience is of course very difficult, but I also tell to my comrades, you know, why should we feel bad? I mean, we, we are a revolutionary party, you know. Uh, we are not only a party which is only a social democratic party, only relying on elections and all that. But of course, we have chosen the election path as to, to participate in a democratic system. I mean, we should not let emotions overcome us, I think. So we should rebuild. we should think this is a struggle. Because I also tell our guys, once we are struggling in an area, uh, all those areas we've been struggling over the past 30 years, we never give up. Okay. We, we, we got hit, our houses got demolished, uh, we got arrested, but we kept fighting. Now, why don't we have the same morale for elections, isn't it? It is just a, a one way, an avenue for struggle. So you lose, fine, we keep fighting, we keep fighting. You know, we keep talking about socialism, let more people understand. And I think now, when people have seen both sides of the political bloc, uh, neoliberal, barisan national, and uh, more of a center party of Pakatan, I think they feel that there is a really need uh, for more left politics because these things are not solving their problems. So yes, I think it gives it opens up an avenue for us to talk more about socialism, why we need more radical pro- uh, politics, progressive politics, and so on.
0: All right. Um. Before we wrap this conversation up, what is the proudest moment? Um. You know, over the past three decades or so, um. You've been doing this. What has been your proudest moment so far?
1: I would say that I cannot really um, cite one particular event, but I think the there were many, I can say. I think basically uh, when we organized um, these conferences, socialism conferences, uh, I think every time when we organized, it was always a, a success. And we were able to talk about socialism uh, when these things were sort of a, a taboo many, many years ago. And now people freely are talking about it. So we feel that's very encouraging. The other thing is, of course, when the party got registered and we make some uh, a, a breakthrough uh, in 2008, uh, as a state assembly, as a parliament member, those breakthroughs that we made, the different campaigns that we did, the successes that we had, uh, even the last one working with the union, the motorcycle campaign. So even though we have not seen full success, but I think the process is very important. So I think that is what is uh, our, our proud moment that, uh, Because, like, I mean, um, those days, I just take a look back, back in the 1990s, when we were in campus, when we were just student activists, or when we just started off uh, the Community Development Center back in 1992, how I would not have really thought that we would get involved in national politics No way, you know? No, never, never. And today, you know, we are communicating with ministers, we're sitting down in meetings, you know, we are in active in politics. Everyone knows Kumar, knows Arul. You no, know, this small group of people who are making a lot of noise, you know, back in the estates, and today we are a national platform. And we're not talking about mainstream politics, you know. There are a lot of political parties today who don't define themselves, but just ride on the political, on the popular wave of anti-corruption, blah, blah, blah. We chose to take the difficult part of, uh, holding up the socialist flag, okay? <laughs> so it was a difficult part, all right? Mm-hmm. And everyone keep hitting us back, saying, why well, you guys are nuts or what, you know? <laughs> you guys are doing good doing good work. Why are you calling yourself socialist? I say, if I'm a socialist, I call myself a socialist right. now. What, what what else can I do? <laughs> right. So we have held that flag up high and people are more open to these ideas now. So I think that is that is that is very important that uh, we are in a position today that we would not have thought about uh, I mean 20 30 years ago I think that was uh, something that we can be, we can really be proud of
0: on that note Siva thank you so much for joining me today That was Sivarajan Arumugam, Secretary General of Party Socialist Malaysia. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can check out the podcast on the BFM app, BFM.my, or pretty much wherever you get your podcast from. I'm Dashan Yohan, and this has been Good Things, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to BFM.my
1: or find us on iTunes, BFM 89.9, the business station.